1: Hi, it's Amy Newmark, and this week I'm presenting to you three of my favorite episodes from last summer with stories from our book all about the power of saying yes to new things, new friends, and new sports.
0: Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with editor in chief Amy Newmark.
1: Hey, it's Amy Newmark and it's Friend Friday. And today I am excited to introduce you to Randy Collins, who is pretty well known in the LA area for being on the USC lacrosse team and being twice as old as his teammates. Randy wrote about his journey from being a Marine to being morbidly obese to getting back in shape and then becoming a USC lacrosse player, and PhD candidate. And he put all of this in a new story that we've published in Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Power of Yes. So Randy, welcome to the Chicken Soup for the Soul
0: podcast. Thanks, Amy. It's such a pleasure to be here. So much fun.
1: So we're pre-recording this a few days before it actually comes out. And you are talking to us via Skype from London. What are you doing in London?
0: You know, it's a strange phenomenon. I, uh, I had a daughter. I blinked, and then she was in college abroad. And so she's been here for two years, and um, we've made a father daughter trip every, every year since. And so I'm picking her up in London, and we're headed to Israel and Jordan for, uh, for about a week.
1: Oh, wow. And you're picking the hottest time of the year.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> it was in between semesters for both of us, so it worked out.
1: That's true. I forgot you're in college, too, in a sense, you're in grad <laughs> right. school. That is pretty funny. You have children in college and you're on the college team. Well, let me give a little background on you before we get started. Randall Collins, who goes by Randy, is the emergency manager for the city of El Segundo in California. And he's president of this organization called the All Hazards Incident Management Teams Association. You'll have to tell us what that is. And he's also a doctoral candidate at USC and In the past, he has held positions with American Humane, which Chicken Soup for the Soul works with very closely. He's also been with the Indiana Department of Homeland Security, of course, with the Marines. And he already has a Master of Leadership degree from USC, but now, of course, he's going for that PhD. So let's talk about your incredibly interesting history and how you got where you are today. Start us off with the Marines.
0: Well, uh, after high school, I went to college very briefly and and found out I was not ready for college as a as an eighteen year old uh, young teenager and so after a semester I dropped out I marched in Juambu Corps for a year and then uh, and then went into the Marine Corps something I had always wanted to do um, and I spent six years on active duty and and then six years in the reserves and uh, got uh, all around the world as the Marines will tend to do and uh, and then uh, got off of active duty in 1997 at the end of 1997 uh, where then I got into public safety then.
1: Then you said that in 2013, 2013- you were diagnosed as morbidly obese, which is hard for me to believe since I've seen you since then, and you look—you still look like a marine with the great posture and everything. So I don't know how you got there and then came back out. But tell us what happened with that.
0: Sure. So uh, I've always struggled with my weight, even in the Marines. I was always pushing my weight limit, um, but then you know once you have a family and and life interrupts your your uh, ability to exercise as effectively and uh, the weight just kept coming on and on. And even though I was still very active, I still ran a lot. I still worked out a lot uh, and that sort of thing. The weight just, uh, just kept coming. And then I continued to have a doctor over, over many years that told me I need to lose weight. I'm I'm morbidly obese uh, and that sort of thing. And, and then my sister had bariatric surgery, um, had, as she and I share this this heredity or her, her, hereditary gene that uh, keeps weight on us, I suppose. She had great success with it, and so then I said, I want to try that.
1: All right. So you had bariatric surgery. You lost what, a hundred pounds?
0: Well, once I had the surgery, I, I started running a lot. Um, I was just running uh, anywhere from six to ten miles a day, and uh, and the and the and the weight just dropped off, and uh, the problem with that was I started to get a little too skinny, and I had to sh- uh, shallow up my running a little bit and and work in some weight training there just to to build some uh, some muscle back. But uh, it was it was a great opportunity to to get in shape.
1: And then my understanding is that's when you started playing lacrosse, and you were already in your forties, and all the other lacrosse players started when they were more like ten or twelve.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, I, um, I first picked up a lacrosse stick in 2013 and at the time it was a, a means to just really bond with my son who was playing in high school at the time. And uh, obviously, the first time you pick up a lacrosse stick, you're, you're no expert, that's for sure. And I really thought, man, this is way harder than it looks like. So uh, playing around with my son for a couple of years, never in 2013, though, did I think two years later in 2015 would I be playing for USC as a grad student.
1: Yeah, that is incredible. So you went to USC as a grad student. How did you even think that you could get onto the lacrosse team? I mean, that's pretty incredible to get on the team in your 40s.
0: Yeah, I was uh, I was out running, and and at that point I started uh, playing lacrosse whenever I could because I fell in love with the sports, and so I was really just trying to get better at that. And so every time I would go out for a long distance run, I would bring my stick and and cradle the ball with the stick for my long distance runs. And while I was running, it just really hit me. I was you know I was like, hey, I'm a full time student. I never played uh, school or never played sports in undergrad, so I should have all my uh, NCAA eligibility. And I said, I want to play for USC now that I'm a grad student. So I called the general manager up and asked him to meet me for coffee, and and we did. And he welcomed me to come out for the team. And uh, ever since then, uh, I've been playing right alongside these kids.
1: Wow. All right. Well, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what it's like to play lacrosse for USC as probably the oldest lacrosse player in the nation at the college level. All right. We're back with Randy Collins, the oldest member of the USC lacrosse team who's starting his fourth season on the team this academic year. So Randy, let's talk about how people treat you on the team. Do they think you're the coach? Do they treat you like you're just one of the guys or do you end up being more like an advisor to your teammates or like a father figure?
0: um there are a wide range of roles that i play on the team for sure uh the new kids when they come around and and if they haven't heard of me uh then they i inevitably i get asked the question am i a coach or anybody that i even on the other teams um when they see me uh i get questions that range for "Are, are you a coach we were shaking hands after a game one night or one time with one of the other teams and i got a question of dude, how old are you? Uh, so I, I definitely get that range of people recognizing I'm older and, and um, wondering how I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, I definitely have a paternal role uh, where I, I don't mix it up as much as the kids do with, with their, uh, their college age shenanigans and that sort of thing and just kind of sit back and, and advise. But at the end of the day, a lot of them have been playing lacrosse much longer than me, and oftentimes are coaching me as to where I need to go on the field, or how I need to shoot better, or what other kind of tactics, if you will, uh, I need to employ in my game. So it, it it's a it's a wide range.
1: Do people recognize you in LA? I mean, I know they see you all suited up on the field, but I didn't know if they recognized you off the field.
0: Um. Not, not unless they actually know me. I, um, you know, I still play in the uh, pickup leagues and and also play on a masters team uh, that's for thirty five and older. And we do some um, we do some tournaments and things like that. And and the people that obviously the lacrosse people know me and know that I play for USE and and know that it's a unique thing. In some ways, it's I've been somewhat of a trendsetter because there's been others very similar to me, still younger, but uh, have now picked up and play for uh, one in particular is uh, uh, CSU at Long Beach has a team, and and a friend of mine is playing there at, at the age of about 35.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people who are in grad school, it probably hasn't occurred to them that they still have NCAA eligibility.
0: For sure. And when they recognize that, whether they've played before or not, uh, they They really uh, it really take it advantage and, and go out and play, so it's it's a good time to see some of them out on the field too.
1: So your kids are the same age as your teammates. What do your kids think of you playing college lacrosse?
0: <laughs> um, well, for sure, they're uh, a little scratching their head, uh, figuring out how did this even happen. But uh, they're very supportive. Uh, they're very proud uh, to uh, go out and and say, "Hey, my dad plays lacrosse." And uh, when I'm with them and and I hear them telling the story, it's it's with a little sparkle in their eye and a little bit like, "Oh yeah, it, it, we're not we're not lying to you. That's that's truth. We're not pulling your leg." Uh, so it's funny to see them uh, talk to other kids that way.
1: I watched a bunch of videos of the team, and you know, watched you playing, and watched the announcers talking about you. Did the announcers just talk about you in a matter-of-fact way, or did they kind of call
0: it out when they're announcing the games? Um, I gosh, I can't tell you that I I know what the announcers say because I I I can't hear the I don't see the the TV version, and then when we review film, it's it's without announcers, so I can't say I've really heard the announcers, but uh, um, I do know. Uh, my freshman year we were playing um against uh arizona state university in in the um in the playoffs and all of a sudden i just kept hearing this guy put number zero in put number zero in And, and that's my number and i couldn't figure out what was going on and and later after the game i went over to to see what was happening and and he had been with a friend of mine heard my story And he he was actually a parent of Arizona State, but he was rooting for me because he just thought, hey, that's so cool that this 40, at the time, 43-year-old was out there playing with the kid.
1: (laughs) So you're looking at your last season now. Is that what's coming up for this 2018-19 school
0: year? It is. It's my last season. Everything worked out perfectly with my schooling, uh, going into grad school and starting when I did, and then... Uh, i'll be I'll be walking next next uh, May uh, for my doctorate and going through grad school and then through my doctorate, all at the same time, allowed me four straight seasons of USC lacrosse
1: that is great. What's your doctorate going to be in? Uh
0: my doctorate's in organizational change and leadership from uh, the Rossier School of Education at USC.
1: and now you still specialize in like emergency management and disaster relief, right? Which is what you also did for American Humane.
0: Uh, yes, I I absolutely do. As the emergency manager for the city of El Segundo, my job is really to prepare that city for disaster. And then, uh, as you mentioned, I have the nonprofit the All Hazards Incident Management Teams Association, and and that association exists to inspire excellence in incident management. We work with a lot of first responders that are on teams that go out and manage disasters and large-scale emergencies, and we try to set standards for them to abide by so that we know that uh, they have the competency and um, can be very efficient at dealing with the many disasters that we see from the wildland fires to the hurricanes that's been plaguing us so much in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, so we're recording this August 8th, and I'm going to ask you about wildfires, so that's why I'm specifically saying what day we're recording this. So is El Segundo one of the cities that has to deal with a lot of the fires?
0: It is not. I'm I'm thankful that uh, the city of El Segundo um, has no wildland fire threat. We're surrounded by uh, LA, we're right next to LAX. And so so we don't have a wildland fire threat, but our fire department very regularly sends out strike teams to support other fire departments at, at fires across California.
1: So I wanted to ask you about the power of yes overall, because I'm sure you've used it in other parts of your life. And I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question ahead of time. <laughs> but I mean, this book that we've put out, people are going crazy over it because they love like the promise and potential of the word yes. And you certainly have used it in your life in the ways that you talked about in your story. Have you used the power of yes in other ways?
0: I have. Uh, and and uh, quite honestly, uh, in one of our first uh, courses in uh, organizational change and leadership in, in the doctorate program, uh, there was a... A professor in the class that very much talked about the power of yes. Uh, obviously, long before this book came out, but uh, but how empowering that is for leadership. And so uh, that was just reinforced. Uh, as I went through school, and most recently, uh, my my yes statement was to go skydiving. So last week, uh, jumped out of a perfectly good airplane and found myself in terminal velocity fall, uh, headed to the ground, and um, it was it was quite the rush, but but so empowering to face your fear of of heights. And I don't have a great fear of heights, but when you're about to jump out of an airplane, it's fearful. So uh, it was a great opportunity to uh, put that uh, put that theory into into motion.
1: Well, I think I draw the line at using the power of yes for activities that involve the word terminal.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Especially in that one for sure. I did <laughs> jump
1: off a thousand foot cliff and paraglide, so I did that. But that's okay. that's a lot closer <laughs> to the ground than jumping out of an airplane.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of fun though. It was a lot of fun.
1: Well, Randy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have a great last year of your grad school, a great last year on the USC lacrosse team. And uh, I really appreciate you joining us from London in the middle of your father-daughter trip.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure.
1: And everybody, thanks for listening to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast today. If you'd like to read Randy's story... Check out our new book about the power of yes and come back next week for more inspiration as we head into Labor Day and think about making a fresh start after the summer is over.
0: This is the story of the Wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine